0: Visit AscentEquityGroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T EquityGroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only.
1: Don't go in with a siloed approach. Go in somehow, some way, understanding that your career will most definitely change. Embrace that change.
2: Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure. Free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name. Episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practices. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Now, I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free. And then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely wound up being free too, assuming that... You're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask them about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author Rich Dad Poor Dad, Jay Papazon, the co-author of The One Thing and many other books with Gary Keller, with us today, Nick Baldo. How you doing, Nick?
1: I'm doing good, Joe. Thanks for having me.
2: My pleasure, my friend. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Nick. He is the owner at NY Home Solutions. He's based in Buffalo, New York. He began investing part-time in 2011 on rehab properties, then went full-time in 2014 after making money on flips and rental properties. Currently focused on value-add real estate investing while also launching a luxury home remodeling company. With that being said, Nick, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and
1: your focus? Sure thing. Thanks, Joe. I graduated from college in 2010 and uh, pretty much immediately went into the corporate world doing strategy and operations consulting. Pretty good job, traveled a lot. had some fun, but quickly realized that I just wanted to be a little bit more entrepreneurial and wanted some more from life. So as you mentioned, got started in 2011 doing some flips part-time. Also fell into the rental space a little bit and learned about that. And as you said, too, went full-time in 2014. And we've been focusing on value-added rental properties. So we are finding rental properties with probably 7 to 8 to anywhere from 8 to 20 units. Finding them fixing them up, and then refinancing them up and moving on to the next. So whether that be residential or mixed use and a little bit of commercial as well. So that's our focus on the real estate investing side of it. And then, as you also called out, we are in the middle of uh, getting geared up with our general contracting business as well. So pretty excited about that, doing high-end remodels, additions, and hopefully a few custom homes as well. So you know spread out in a few different directions, but having a lot of fun with us
2: all roads lead back to remodeling either these luxury homes or these multifamily deals and then adding value, whether you're owning it or whether you're a contractor, right?
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, we figured we're doing our own stuff and we're getting a lot of compliments. We're getting a lot of questions. Hey, do you do that uh, for other people? Do you, do you do my kitchen? And we did a few kind of like ad hoc. And then we said, well, let's serious about this and let's get the right insurance. Let's get the right licenses in place and let's try this business out because it seems lucrative. It seems fun. We wanted to do it. So that's where
2: we're going. Let's dig in on these eight to 20 units that you're rehabbing, then refinancing. And as you said, moving on. When you say moving on, are you referring to selling or once you refinance, you hold on to them?
1: Yeah, we're holding on to them. So moving on being, let's find the next one is kind of what I had in mind. Okay. So
2: you're holding on to them. Let's talk about a specific one. How about just pick any of them and let's talk about the numbers and what you did and, and how you repositioned it.
1: I guess our first one that comes to mind, it ended up as we finished it being a nine unit and it was probably like seven when we bought it. Mixed use property, had a little bit of retail space on the ground floor, some apartments up top. Purchased for 200000 put about two hundred into it And appraised out at 575. So the value add that we found in this one, first of all, it was a completely dilapidated building, but very historic at the same time in a village center in a suburb outside of Buffalo. So the historic nature of it, the really good location in this village showed us that it probably had a really good upside. We also did a little bit of a repurposing of some of the space, transitioning some of the low-performing retail space into apartments, which, to be honest, we just knew better. We knew apartments. We knew residential really well, so we felt confident making that switch over. And just doing really kind of high-end, I'd say medium to high-end apartments in this building and just really jacking up the revenue and then bringing the bank back for a refinance. And so it worked out nicely. It was a complete job, though. We had pretty much the whole thing, at least parts of it, vacant at various points during the rehab. So it was quite a project. I learned a lot from it, but ended up being good on the financial side.
2: And you said it ended up being a nine unit, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. And the the reason I kind of hesitate with that, we have one retail space that is currently split but very easily be one big space. So it could fluctuate eight to nine. But yes, currently nine units. So three of those being commercial and six apartments.
2: Oh, okay. So the retail space that you repurposed to residential, you didn't do all of that. You did just some of it. You left some of it commercial. And by commercial, are you saying retail?
1: That's right. Basically, the ground floor of the building, about 3,000 square feet, about half of that, was a big picture window retail space that I knew growing up in the area turned over constantly. The building didn't have that much parking for that nice of a storefront, anything like that. So we took that space and converted it into two apartments while we kept the other 1,500 square feet as the retail that it currently was. We maintained that.
2: Mm, Okay. What type of tenant do you attract for that other space?
1: Well, we have in one kind of a counseling service, so the woman sees whether it's divorce counseling or high school students that need some help, so she has people come on an appointment basis. The other is a small craft store, and actually both of them were there when we purchased, and they stayed there, and then the third unit, we're actually renting to ourselves, as we had not had an office at the time, so it's a small office, a few desks, a little bit of storage for us to bring clients into sign leases or now to bring clients in to look at renderings of their remodels and things like that.
2: Mm, okay. So I want to make sure I've got the numbers right. As far as the units, you have two apartments that were the retail space plus the three retail. So that's five. And then you have four other residential apartments.
1: That's right. Yeah, those four other residential apartments existed as residential apartments when we purchased. We just went through and did complete guts to them and remodeled to be quite a bit nicer.
2: And did you remodel the craft store and the counseling service space?
1: Minimally. Like I said, they were in there, so we did some little things. They were completely happy, and those were the best spaces. So we did things like they had ventless space heaters as their heating source. So we went in and put forth there with AC, things that we could do without disturbing them too much. Like I said, they were happy and their units were okay. If and when they vacate, we could take a look at that. But we kind of lucked out having them as nice, stable, while we renovated the rest of the building. Okay.
2: So if we were to divide the 200 by the nine areas or the nine units, Would be twenty two thousand two hundred and twenty two, but you clearly with the counseling service and the craft store, you didn't spend as much there, but more in others. But as you said, this is a big overhaul. That's a lot per unit, over twenty thousand dollars worth of rehab on average. What did you do, and what did it take you from like the rent it used to be, and then the rent it is now?
1: Good question. So the renovation also included a full exterior rehab. So Brand new roof, uh, sloped roof, flat roof. The whole building is kind of a hodgepodge type building. So brand new tear-off roof as well as residing. So the building had the old asbestos on it and then underneath it the clapboard. So all of that got peeled off and we resided with hardy plank, which is a pretty nice product that we were actually forced to do just based on the historical district we were in. But then... In addition to that, each apartment had those same types of ventless space heaters, so we put new furnaces in, so furnaces in the attic, furnaces in the basement, new force air throughout the entire building. Separation of utilities was not quite done right. Centralized hot water and on-demand hot water, so we put in a boiler system so that everybody could be on the single house water, which has actually become a requirement in the county we're in. So we actually had to do that. And then other than that, it was really tearing everything down, tearing plaster down because there's no insulation in the walls, so we could insulate, re-drywalling, painting, flooring, cabinets, really almost building anew. The only thing that stayed was the framing and the structure of the building. So it was a complete gut in every way, shape, and form.
2: And what were the apartments renting for before and what are they renting for now?
1: When we acquired the property, we actually put a clause in that we wouldn't take ownership unless three of those apartments, those four were vacant.
0: But when they were
1: renting out, probably averaging out at the 450 range, maybe 500, Really low-level tenants, in my opinion, and that's part of the reason why we wanted them out. We wanted to do the rehab, and we didn't want those tenants. So that's where it was at. And now we have one that's at twelve hundred, but I'd say that the average is probably just under a thousand for the six residential
2: units. All right. So you increased it five hundred to seven hundred dollars, depending on the tenant, but on average, you know, about five hundred dollars and you put in 20, 22000 on average, but then you're looking at it from a long-term play too, not just a quick return on your money in terms of the rehab.
1: Right. And like I said, so the financials worked out pretty nicely, but I think probably the best part about this project was how comprehensive it was. So as you point out, the rehab budget's quite large, but we did every single thing. And throughout my short career, the five years or so doing this, Different buildings and houses have had different scopes of work, but nothing has been as comprehensive as this, meaning literally from HVAC to exterior to paving in the whole thing. So I think that was probably the best part about the project was it worked out nicely financially, but also it was a good test for us to see what can't we handle, if anything.
2: How'd you find that deal?
1: The deal was a commercial listing on LoopNet, actually. It was our first commercial listing. So we hadn't really done much with it. I think we had a high comfort level with the area just growing up there in the suburb. So we contacted a commercial agent. We didn't even have one. We just contacted somebody who signed we had seen and said, hey, we want to buy this. How do we do it? And they represented us. And we went through, analyzed the deal and bought it. Hmm.
2: Do you know how long it had been on LoopNet?
1: On and off for probably a year and a half to two years at a really high price. They had lowered it a little bit by the time we were coming around. I think it was probably listed at 250. By the time we came around, and we just ran our numbers and, and gave our offer at 200, and it was a pretty quick accept. Mm.
2: Your offer was 200, and they accepted the 200, and that was that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. I'm pretty sure it was an out-of-town owner. You know, It's weird because they had it on the market for two years, so the motivation seems minimal, but they were excited for the 200 offer and to get out of the property. It was really <laughs> in shambles. They were on the list of the town as far as violations of code and all those kinds of things, and I think they just wanted to get out.
2: You did the whole gut rehab, so you fixed it, but did you have to pay fines or deal with any paperwork because you inherited the property and those issues?
1: No, not really. There wasn't anything major outstanding as far as they had their taxes in line, and they paid all those fines that they got from the town. So we were in pretty decent shape when we closed. There's probably a few outstanding things, but definitely nothing that blew up the deal. We were weary of that, though. Mm -hmm.
2: Can you tell us about another one you did?
1: It's an interesting kind of package of deals around the University of Buffalo area. So there's a few different sections of town that are big for student housing. So what we did, there was was called the South Campus, kind of coming into, it's always been known as kind of the lesser housing and just a little bit, not as safe and not as nice as the North Campus. That's kind of turning a little bit. So we're able to find a package of deals on one street. So this is for multifamily and we bought them as a package. And we did a similar thing to kind of this commercial space. However, we did a four siloed houses that we renovated, and we just kind of changed the market slightly. So instead of kind of like rundown, maybe fraternity housing and undergrads and things, we made them a little bit nicer, cranked the rank a little bit, and started really focusing on either upperclassmen or – most attractive to us were the grad students and the medical students, which was the trend of the area a little bit too, so we kinda of caught that wave. But that was an interesting one because we kinda of took that model of big apartment building, but we did it in four two families and worked out pretty nice for us as well.
2: What was the acquisition price, how much you put in and what's it worth now?
1: I think back on those we probably acquired everything for around maybe like two thirty or so.
2: Total all in two hundred thirty thousand.
1: Yeah, I think that would make sense. So anyway, yeah, that's the other thing. Like Buffalo, in this part of Buffalo, it's not like there's worse parts, but Buffalo <laughs> is a very affordable uh, place, and I think that's probably one of the reasons we
2: got it. Yeah, that's four two families is eight units. See how good at math I am, and then divide that by two thirty. That's twenty eight thousand a door. Is that acquisition or all in price? That's
1: acquisition. That's acquisition. Okay. What we put into them, I'd have to see, I mean, because it was by project. But I'd say we probably put in at the most twenty per house, probably fifteen. Probably put in sixty thousand to all of them. So we're probably at two ninety all in, and we just refinanced those. And I think we appraised in the three seventy five range. Uh, and the struggle with that appraisal was trying to convince the bank to go off of income based metrics as opposed to as opposed to the comps approach, because the comps approach would kill us. So we had to really show like, hey, we got it. (laughs) If you sold it to a homeowner, you're not going to get that value. But these as a package for an investor are really attractive because of the income
2: and cash flow. Yeah. How'd you get them to do that since they're less than four units?
1: Basically, our loans from that one onward have been commercial loans. So small regional banks loaning our business money with property as collateral. And the coolest part about commercial loans and why I really like them is there's no hard and fast rules. They'll loan your business money given that there's collateral to back it. So it could be one house, it could be one building, it could be four houses. So we went into this loan with the idea that these four houses would be our collateral. So basically the first time around didn't go well as far as the appraisals and things, but what we were able to do is get the loan officer to really sit down with us, understand the cash flow we were looking at, and he was able to go to his board, and we were able to get the appraiser to give, at least, give us the income-based approach, and he got the board to take that as the appraised value. Mm. So that's kind of one of those benefits, too. sure it's come up a lot here, like the smaller regional banks and those commercial loans, they give you a little bit more flexibility to actually talk to real people to get some of those things hashed out.
2: Yeah. And I misspoke. I said, because there are four or less, but it's actually less than five, not four. So you got an income-based approach on properties that were less than five units because you're working with a portfolio lender locally, a regional bank that keeps the loan in their portfolio. Therefore, they're their own boss. They're not selling the loan on the secondary market and they can come up with creative terms that make common sense.
1: That's completely accurate. They have a board that approves all their loans, and so they have pretty strict standards still, but they have human beings that can make rational decisions because in the end, they want to make money. And so they flex a bit to take on those potentially more risky projects. Together.
2: We come across this on very frequently how portfolio lenders, commercial banks, and credit unions are our best friends, and we have to have a relationship with them. Absolutely. What's your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: I would have to say my best advice ever would be to stay agile. And what I mean by that is a lot of people get into real estate investing. And I know I was guilty of this too. And that I'm going to do this strategy, whether it be flipping or renting or wholesaling, I'm going to do this and this is going to be my world. And I say be agile because we don't know what's coming. So when we start investing, no matter what strategy it is, certain things are going to come up. We're going to learn about new things. We're going to learn what we like doing. Maybe we hate wholesaling. Maybe we hate flipping houses. Maybe we hate tenants. We have to learn those things to discover what we really need to be doing with our lives. So don't go in with a siloed approach. Go in somehow, some way, understanding that your career will most definitely change, embrace that change, and and just jump in. Mm.
2: What's one way to identify when you should make a change from what you're doing? I
1: think it all comes down to really deeply how you feel on a day-to-day basis. What I mean by that is, are you excited to get up? Are you a little bit scared? I think you should be. I think fear is a good thing. If you're getting too comfortable and things are too easy, then, in my opinion, then to go further, you can go in a different direction. But it really comes down to, are you living the life that you think? Is meant for you so are you waking up every morning excited to take on the day excited to take on whatever you're doing and if you're not take note if it becomes a trend then really consider making some kind of transition and the transition doesn't have to be huge that's what's cool about real estate there's so many little niches and different facets and things we can get into just to tweak things a little bit and that's what's exciting about the whole thing mm-hmm.
2: I don't think I asked you, how did you find these four properties that you grouped together as a portfolio?
1: Good question. So the first two, the way we did it was we identified two that we were going to buy. It was an off market. We had an agent we were working with on some of our flips. He had an investor who owned two houses over in this area. We were about to buy those two. And we were there maybe doing our inspection. or We were there quite a bit, just doing our due diligence on the houses. I think it was the summertime, and they were vacant. So we were going to buy those. But then as we were there one day, an older gentleman kind of walked up to us asking if we owned those houses. We said, well, not yet. He said, come with me. And he walked down the street to two other houses that he owned. This was an older guy, and he wanted to get out. They needed some work, but he was not interested in owning them anymore, but was really interested in lending money. So what we were able to do is we, we just bought all four through different means for each, but I'm a second to based some owner financing. So it all kind of came together at once, very uh, randomly.
2: I love hearing how things come together like that because sometimes I gloss over those details of how you're able to pull together four individual, two families, and group them in as a commercial purchase and then get a commercial loan on those four two families. That's really interesting.
1: And it all comes down to getting out the door. So, you know, you can can rack your brain about business plans and all that stuff, but like you have no idea what can happen once you get out into the world and start doing stuff. And things will start coming together in weird and interesting ways that you could, could have never predicted.
2: You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. Adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to transition your investing from a hobby into a business that has consistent deal flow? The Investor Success Mastermind and Coaching Program can help you accelerate your growth. Find out more at InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. That's InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. Best ever book you've read?
1: I would have to say that is a book called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Have you heard of it? Or? Of
2: course I have, yeah. He was interviewed by... Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferris, that's yeah.
1: right. Yeah, I was actually a little disappointed. It, it was kind of more of a just follow yeah. by himself.
2: Yeah, it's like a monologue.
1: Yeah, so that book I think is awesome. For business, for life, it is great. It's just a quick for the audience. It's, a, it's terrible about finding your life's destiny, living your legend. I think it should be read by everybody, and I think you should read it more than once, really. It's an amazing read.
2: Best ever personal growth experience, and what you learn from it?
1: The best ever personal growth experience, I would have to say, was probably my time as a consultant. And that's because it really pushed me to my limits and forced me off of a ledge of some sort. So pushed me in that I was working crazy hours. I was traveling all over the world. I was living this, what many would see as this awesome postgraduate life where I had the good job, the cool travel perks and all the hotel points and all that stuff. And to be able to realize, and it took me a long time, well, four years, but to be able to really understand that this was not what I was meant to do took a lot. And the trials, tribulations of going through that process, I think really made me really confident and ready to take on this business and and everything that's to come after it
2: best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about? Okay.
1: The best ever deal that we haven't talked about is probably my first rental property, which was purchased about the time we had flipped the house. And I say we, my business partner and I. And I had just moved back from New York to the Buffalo area. So I was in New York City working as a consultant. I moved back to the Buffalo area. And the natural thing to do is I moved in with my parents. (laughs) And within like a month, I was like, all right, we got to figure something out here and I got to move out and my business partner was in a similar situation as well and so we said well why don't we do this I don't know if we called it that at the time but the house hacking idea why don't we to duplex or something buy it live in and that'll get us out of our each other's parents houses so we actually found a three unit financed it personally purchased and financed it with a personal FHA loan Lived in kind of the middle of the three units, middle being the medium, not the highest rent, not the lowest rent. And the reason I'll call that my best deal is financially it does fine, really well, but it unveiled to me how much I wanted to do rental properties. So without buying that deal, maybe I would have bought one later, but that turned the light on in my head that it doesn't just have to be flipping. This rental thing could be cool too.
2: Best ever way you like to give back?
1: Well, I love to give back, certainly to other investors, anybody who will email me or need some help, contact me through my blog or my website or YouTube, anything like that. I love to respond to everybody and, and take a one-on-one, specifically around the software I use and plenty of real estate investors use at Podio. I'll do some free consulting on that. I also like to take whatever I've learned as far as operations and strategy and try to be part of some kind of not-for-profit. So right now I'm part of something called the Flood Hockey Foundation. So Flood Hockey being the uh, adaptive sport. And so I am working with them as they're getting up and running just on the operations of their business, how to set up some of their social media, how to plan events, and how to get the word out about this new foundation. So that's been pretty rewarding to me so far.
2: You're an interesting mix of skill sets because that type of focus with the right out of college, you did strategy and operations consulting in New York City, but yet you're focused on rehabs and luxury home remodeling company. Typically, I don't like generalizing, but generally speaking, you've got the contractor who's not focused as much on social media and branding. And then you've got someone who's more in sales, who's focused more on investor relations. But it seems like you got a little bit of both or a lot of both.
1: Yeah, I guess rehabbing, I'm not the best as far as the actual work itself, but I saw opportunities in the processes. So a lot of us who work with general contractors and whatever kind of contractors, the industry, in my opinion, is ready for disruption. There are too many contractors who give bids on paper. There are too many contractors who do not give a full scope of work. Too many contractors without websites, without social media, I think it needs to change, I think it's Ready for change, and so to me, I see that as an opportunity that we can add value, and I can have fun with this thing that seems like a nice big challenge. That can we influence this old-time industry, this blue-collar industry? Can we make a change? And that I see as a really cool challenge. So that's kind of why I embrace the two sides of things.
2: What's the biggest mistake you've made on a real estate deal?
1: I could say that I made this on a few. Is ignoring ignoring little things about the property, qualitative features of the property that certainly impact the value. And so what I mean by that is having a cloud over your head when you're doing the analysis that the numbers are working and ignoring things that should matter to you. And these can be little things like what's the parking situation like, what's next door, what kind of house as a backyard lined up to mine on a city house or something that might be one and a half stories where you have bedrooms with ceilings coming into your head and things like that. I had a struggle with this early in my career was the numbers look great, you know, the comp look great, but I ignored the fact that my comp is not as good as I thought it was because my property is fill in the blank, doesn't have a driveway or is one and a half instead of two full stories. I ignored those things. so. Well, I'm a really quantitative guy and I remain to be. I've learned pretty quickly that you have to look at some of the qualitative features of your houses and buildings and everything.
2: Nick, what's the best place the best ever listeners can get in touch with you?
1: The best way to get in touch with me would be via email, nick at income com. Go to income com. That's kind of where I will post some blogs, some videos. I have a ton of videos up there about Podio. If you're on Podio, you can actually just add me to Podio would be awesome too, your workspace if you want to. Same email address would work for that. But Income Digs is certainly the best place to get a hold of me and I'm really excited to talk with whomever.
2: I feel like case studies are the best way to learn and to have someone walk us through a couple case studies has been invaluable and really grateful for that. Thanks for talking about the now nine unit-ish property that you have now. That you put in two hundred thousand to acquire, then two hundred thousand to renovate, so all in four hundred. A price for five seventy-five, and the type of renovations you got very specific about what you did and why. And for any best ever listener who's looking to add value to a property, especially a multifamily building, this is a case study that we should listen to and really look at, especially on a long-term hold. Because the numbers investing 22000 per unit and increasing rents $400,000, not going to get you the return if you're trying to turn it around really quickly unless you're getting a good purchase price and the valuation that comes in, which you did in that scenario. So it is interesting to hear your business model as well as the collection of two units. In total, four, two units that you got as a commercial loan with a portfolio lender. And you got the appraisal on an income-based approach versus a sales comp, which helped tremendously with your valuation. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Great. Thanks a lot, Joe. It's my pleasure.
2: Are you ready to transition your investing from a hobby into a business that has consistent deal flow? The Investor Success Mastermind and Coaching Program can help you accelerate your growth Find out more at InvestorSuccessMastermind.com. That's InvestorSuccessMastermind.com.